Murder. Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? Hey. Hey. Oh, my God. We got Starbucks today, and it is so (laughs) delicious. Oh, my God. Would you be mad if I told you that Kate brought me one this morning? (laughs) No, that's all right. Yeah. So you got to. Gotta get that vanilla sweet cream cold brew, man. I'm a little jealous. But you made me a cold coffee, too, and it's delicious. I'm I'm telling you, I'm good at it. Yeah. And the cups keep it cold for, like, ever. Yeah, it's it's really good. But this... I know. Pink lemonade or strawberry strawberry acai. Oh, my God. Is it delicious? I I just want to, like, just down it. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm trying to just sip it. I had a gift card. Mm. I love gift cards. They're great. They really get you in a pinch. They're, yeah. You know, when you're like, man, I want something, but I don't know what. And you're like, I have a gift card. It was a good good surprise today. Mm -hmm. Good job, babe. I know. Good job. (sighs) So what else is going on? Nothing. We don't have a lot of business. Mm. Uh, Two things. Well, I don't know if I have two things. I don't know. Uh, My cousin Mm -hmm. had her second Chiari surgery this morning. Yes. Uh, She's doing well. She had it in Milwaukee. Good. So I talked to her this morning. Good deal. Yeah. So if everybody could kind of. Send good vibes her way because it's literally the worst experience on planet Earth. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Like, yeah. to the point if I'm told I have to have a second surgery, I don't know if I can. Well, it was to the point where I actually felt bad for you. And yeah. that takes a lot. Yeah, and you still <laughs> thought I was exaggerating. Yes. Yeah, so what's that tell you? But I felt bad for yeah. you. So, yeah, it's... It's one yeah. hell of a surgery. It's so. awful. Yeah. And I know this doesn't lead into it like it should, but uh, shout out to my girl for uh, cutting my hair at work last night. Yeah. <laughs> so she does clients during the day and she like goes to their house. Yeah. So she had all of her stuff with her because, you know, I keep telling her, bring your haircut lady scissors. Yeah. So when she came in, I was like, I want to do a pixie. And she's like, I'm not letting you do fucking pixie. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, I have my scissors. And I'm like, okay. Well, then I, they went up, her and my other one. Mm. <clears throat> and then she's like, do you want me to just come back and cut your hair? I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> so she cut and curled my hair. That's awesome. Yeah. It looks, it looks great. great. Yeah. I had like a little page boy mullet going and um, mm-hmm. now I don't. Yeah. It, yeah. it really looks good. When I said I wanted a pixie, her exact words were, I'm not cutting your hair like a John and Kate plus eight. <laughs> Thank you. And she's like, what do you want? And I was like, I don't care. I said, do whatever. I speak to your manager yeah. haircut. I was like, do, do whatever. So her and my other girl, when I came back in the office, they're like, we found your haircut. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to sit down. It's good. It looks great. It feels great. It's off my neck. Yep. And it's still... She did a great job. You can't even tell. Like, the undergrowth is funky because she just evened it out and covered it. So. Yeah, she did good. Yeah. That's the business I got. But that's cool. You got your haircut at work. You got paid for getting a haircut. I did. It was great. And you know what? She's the one... Remember, my boss has a weird thing about hair. Yeah. It has to be perfect. Yeah. He has to use his Rave or Aquanet, the worst smelling hairspray ever. 
So during COVID, all the boys were getting like real shaggy. Yeah. So he called her and was like, I'm going to get you a chair. Can I you come cut everybody's that. hair? Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. She just lined him up. We, had yeah. a, we have a fucking dentist chair for some reason. She put him in there. I don't, I don't fucking know. I don't know. <laughs> it was in the building at, in Joliet when we bought it. So <clears throat> That's awesome. Yeah. But uh, this one's uh, longer than I anticipated. So okay. I should probably stop fucking flapping my jaw. Okay. Over here. Oh, man. Did know did not know it was gonna be that uh, there's in my depth. No, there's my notes. Ooh, that's like thirty pages. It's a whole section of a five subject. Nope. Yeah, that's a lot. And I'll be honest with you, still don't know if I have a solid full opinion. Really? Yeah. I, just the bits and pieces that you told me, I have an opinion, but I'm gonna wait. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know. Evidence-wise, I think in the courts, they did the right thing via the evidence, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm going to I don't know how I feel. I don't know. I want to hear what you got got to say. I will tell you, though. So there's a couple books. One is by Aphrodite Jones, and one is by, shit, I forgot her name. Shit. Her name is not shit. She was the one who worked with Ted Bundy. She writes a lot of books. Um, Aphrodite Jones, not a fan of Michael Peterson. Really? Oh, no. Like, to the point, I couldn't continue reading her book because it was so biased. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> Which, and that's fine. People are not, there's no in between. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah, with this one, they're... Diane Fanning. That's who I was thinking. Thank you. Okay. So that's, Yeah. She, um, I felt she did a good job on being in between. In between. Um, you know, there's some opinion kind of thrown in there, but for the most part, she, she really just kind of throws it out there. So, um, a lot of articles and stuff are, it's, it's 50, 50. You either think he did it or you, you think he's innocent. There's, there's literally no in between. You and Hmm. me may be the only two that are like, yeah, I know, Maybe. right? So so. Yeah. Eh. Um so yeah, I don't know. I um again, I did it in a timeline, so I'm not going to go really back and forth. We're going to go from the beginning and go on. Um mm-hmm. are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. You're typing, so I just wanted to make sure. No, I'm ready. Okay. Uh December 9th to th- Oh, we're doing the staircase by the way. We should probably say that. Yeah. This is the case of, uh, it's the death of Kathleen Peterson. And it was. It's a documentary. There was a documentary. Yeah. Which I actually get to that at some point. So on December 9th, 2001, uh, it was just about 2.40 a.m. when Michael Peterson walked back into the 11,000 square foot mansion he shared with his wife, Kathleen. It was a brisk 55 degrees in Durham, North Carolina, and the couple had been enjoying a few drinks by the pool. Kathleen had gone in sometime earlier with the intention of going to bed to prepare for an early morning conference call, but Michael stayed outside to finish his cigar and must have dozed off, according to him. Because once you light a cigar, you have to finish it. Yeah. You can't stop, really. Yeah. So. But it it is relaxing. Yeah. So. I get it. I get it. Um, He was expecting to go in and find Kathleen in bed. Uh, but what he found was Kathleen at the bottom of the back staircase, lying in a pool of her own drying blood. So much blood. 
like a lot of blood, which makes sense. And I feel like people really focus on that, but when you, head, when you know that injuries, it makes sense. Yeah, head bleed. Heads and faces bleed. bleed. Yeah, head cuts and wounds bleed so, a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But so what actually happened? After two trials, a documentary, lawsuits, and an Alford plea, most people are still divided. Did Kathleen fall accidentally? Was she murdered? And if she was, was it Michael or an owl? Or an owl? An owl. Like a hoo owl. Hoo. Did you know that was a theory? No. <laughs> you, you didn't know? No. I oh, you're in for a treat. Thought you were just joking. No, I'm serious. One of the theories is she got attacked by an owl. Got attacked by, by an, an owl. owl. Come on. Which, unfortunately, I shouldn't even say unfortunately. When I spell it out for you, yeah, it is a plausible situation. I didn't know owls attacked. I guess. Uh-huh. You know they got little legs? I was going to say little yeah. bird legs, but they are little birds. So, anyways. Uh. Michael Iver Peterson was born October 23rd, 1943, near Nashville, Tennessee, to parents Eugene and Eleanor. When he was a month old, his father stormed the beaches of Normandy while Eleanor moved in with her sisters. In 1945, Eugene re-enlisted and the family moved to Japan. Michael would later say he was kidnapped and baptized in a Shinto shrine. Uh, In reality, a Japanese maid took him to the shrine to be blessed. (laughs) Okay. So he likes to exaggerate. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Um, After living all around the world, they settled on the East Coast where he graduated from Hampton High School in Virginia. After graduation, Michael went to Duke University. He joined the Air Force. It's a good school. Yeah, it is. Uh, Joined the Air Force ROTC and a legal group called Bench and Bar his freshman and sophomore years. He was a representative of the student union on staff at the student paper called The Chronicle, uh, eventually becoming the editor his senior year. He was president of a fraternity, Sigma Nu, chosen for membership um, in the Order of the Red Friars. I didn't look into it. I don't know. Okay. I did learn, though, that in Tennessee, you can have fraternity houses. Yeah. But you can't have sorority houses because they're considered a brothel. What? <laughs> No shit. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah. That's funny. Um, So in 1965, he graduated with a bachelor's in political science. Um, At some point while visiting his parents, he met and started a long distance relationship with Patricia Balkman. Uh, After graduating from Duke, Michael enrolled in law school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He ruffled feathers and made enemies, though, when he assisted a law professor defending a gay man charged with sodomy. It was a highly publicized case out there. Um, He left law school before finishing his first year. Oh, wow. He butted heads with a lot of people, just didn't, really wasn't for him. Yeah. Uh, While living in Reno with an uncle, he was offered a job in Washington, D.C. as a systems science analyst. Him and Patty married in 1966. <clears throat> and he, through this job, was sent to Vietnam as a defense consultant um, to, like, write about what weapons and, and, like, equipment would work the best. Hmm. And he said that he was pretty much told what to write. Like, this is the outcome that we yeah, need. Yeah. Write this. Which, they made a big deal about it, but 
I'm sorry. Does anybody know what real life is like? It's pretty mm. standard. Yeah. We want this tank. Make sure we get it. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know. Um, so while he was there, though, he decided that he wanted to write the great American novel about war. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. But just like Hemingway, first he needed to fight in the war. I think that's a bit much. It's a yeah. bit extreme. I mean, there's books. Yeah. There's books, whatever. Uh, but in 1968, he enlisted in the Marines and was immediately sent to Vietnam. Patty moved in with Mike's family in Copenhagen, which is where, because his dad was in the military until yeah. the, the very end. So they were in Copenhagen, and she got a teaching job in West Germany. Uh, ironically enough, though, Patty and Michael were both anti-war. Really? Sir, you joined the you war joined... to write a book about the war. Yeah, so how how were you against it? I don't know. I kind of want to read one of his books, though. Just to see. I'm yeah. curious. Um, so after a car accident in Japan, Michael was left with a permanent disability and he was honorably discharged. Patty got a teaching job in Germany and the couple would split time between Germany and North Carolina. They would have two sons in short succession. Die. Clayton was born in December of 1974 and Todd was born in March of 1976. Irish twins. Thank you. Shut up. <laughs> um, the Petersons soon became close friends with another military couple, George and Liz Radcliffe. Liz was a teacher for the Department of Defense when she met George, who was in the Air Force. They had two daughters in short succession. Uh, Margaret was born in December of 1981, and Martha was born in January of 1982. Uh, at the end of his term, George decided to re-enlist in the military so the family could stay in their home in Germany. In June of 1981, <clears throat> Michael's sister Anne and her husband started a 14-month stay with Michael and Patty. Can you imagine? Like, Yikes. We would like to come live with you for a year and a half. No. No, thank you. It's going to be a no for me, dog. Yeah. So... Um, but she said, though, she had the opportunity to bond with him like she couldn't when they were growing up because of their age difference. Um, she noticed, though, that Michael wrote all day and then went to the gym. Uh, Patty brought home the only income. Um, <clears throat> this was around the time that Michael also started alluding that he worked for the CIA. So here's the thing. He was asked if he worked for the CIA once, one time. He never denied it. But he never confirmed it, and he just kind of, like, let people think it. So he didn't... It was kind of a lie what? by omission, more so. Yeah. Um, What's this guy's deal? He's weird. Yeah. Yeah. He also allegedly stole money from a friend of Patty's while she was... They were visiting, excuse me. When she called and said there's going to be an investigation, he allegedly admitted to it. But this ended the women's friendship. Uh, in July of 1983, Michael's first published book was released. Ooh. In October of 1983, George Radcliffe was sent on a secret mission. Literally a secret mission. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. Okay. Uh, he ended up dying in his sleep. Oh, Jesus. Now, he was flown back home to the United States. And when Liz and the girls went to the States to meet him, Michael escorted them to the States. Patty didn't come. 
Just Peter's kind of a little. Hmm, I don't know. Yeah, Patty. What? I, I question her. What, but, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, Michael would tell everyone that George didn't have a will, and Liz, in her distress, would not be able to straighten out the finances. Um. Liz was devastated. Yeah. <clears throat> she couldn't bear to have the open casket, so they ended up having the service, like they started it as an open casket and then closed it before she would come in the room. Mm. So she had a hard time with it. Um, the autopsy ruled out anything cardiac or anything related to um, any toxins, drugs, anything like that. The military actually compared his death to SIDS. <coughs> really? Yeah, just it was a simple, he died in his sleep. Now on the death I didn't know that that was a thing. It's for not a thing. Adult. It's, it's not. It's dying in your sleep. For no for no reason, essentially. That's, you just so they, that's they say still it's still kind of weird. Yeah. They say it's like like my grandma died in her sleep. Right. Natural causes, whatever. Here's the thing though. Because of what he was doing, um, his cause of death and location on his death certificate are both listed as unknown. And they never wow. told Liz. So she has, she has no idea. They just the, the only reason they know he died in his sleep was because of the person he was with. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. Liz had a really hard time getting through this. So she hired a nanny named Barbara, who for all intents and purposes sounded like a lovely woman. Barb. Fabulous. Um, Michael took over the finances and essentially all of the decision making for the household. Sometimes even making decisions without consulting Liz. But she was okay with this. So like a lot of people were like, he pushed it. But she was okay with it. Mm. She told people that he was a huge significant help in her time of need. Her bills wouldn't have gotten paid. There wouldn't have been groceries in the house. So between him and Barbara, they made sure that the house ran. So it was never an issue. That's good. That's good. Um, so despite George... Um, Excuse me. Despite Michael stating that George did not have a will, Liz allowed Michael to draw up a new one, uh, changing initial and sole guardianship from George's parents to him and Patty for the girls. Oh, wow. Um, He eventually convinced Liz out that the nanny Barbara needed her own life and apartment and Liz should pay for it. So Barbara was living there and then they got her her own apartment. Hmm. Uh, by October of 1985, Liz was getting on better. Uh, she was talking about moving back to Texas, which is where she was from. Um, she wanted to bring Barbara with her. Barbara And Barbara was from Germany. She, obviously, that's where they're at. Um, and eventually wanted to retire in Japan. Because when she first wow. got her job with the teacher as a department editor, yeah. that's where she went first. And she loved it. Really? Uh, Liz would see the Petersons daily. They were very close. Um, on November 24th, 1985, there, it was no exception. Liz and the girls had dinner at the Petersons. Michael then walked them home and helped Liz get the girls cleaned up and to bed, which was a very common practice. Uh, after they fell asleep, Michael and Liz took her car to a mechanic in the neighboring village. And Michael dropped her back off, took out her garbage, and went home around 10 o'clock. Aww. You can come take out mine. Yeah. Uh, Please. Yeah. On November 25th of 1985, Barbara took a cab to the house, arriving at 7.15. She normally rode her bike, but it was snowy, so she took a cab. Uh, She walked in and immediately knew something was wrong. The kids' plates were not on the table, and she didn't hear Liz getting ready. She then found 
What she didn't realize at the time was Liz crumpled at the bottom of the stairs. Um, she initially, like I said, didn't realize it was Liz until she saw her yellow rain boots. That's when she knew. Mm. So she went to the Petersons <clears throat> and the other neighbors. Man, if you know, just throwing it out there, if your name is Peterson... You're fucked, man. <laughs> You're fucked. You, you got some issues coming your way. Just don't get married. Yeah. And pray that women don't die in your presence. Right? Because you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to throw <clears> it in <throat> there. I thought that the whole time. So um, one of the neighbors, Amy Beth, immediately asked what happened. And Michael immediately responded um, that Liz had a brain aneurysm and fell down the stairs. Liz had a very common blood clotting disorder, which I meant to write down, which I did not. I could probably. It's, it's very common. It's like one in 40 people have it it's usually very um benign really you bruise easy yeah stuff like that it's nothing huge i just had it down my lemonade it, it's so fucking I thought good that you just did yeah it, it's just too good yeah um it's called von willebrand's disease von willebrand's yeah so it's a coagulation disorder it's a clotting disorder okay um <clears throat> Amy Beth immediately declared the kitchen a crime scene. <clears throat> Michael asserted that he was the one in charge, communicating with police, EMS, and the Department of Defense, because she was obviously a government employee. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Barbara really would not accept the brain bleed theory, and she didn't come back to the house for a week. She was so distraught. Mm. Rumors circulated around the neighborhood and Liz's school that she committed suicide. Really? One of her second grade students came home crying and said to her mom that Miss Liz killed herself. Jeez. Mm -hmm. okay. Nobody knows where it stemmed from. Yeah. So <clears throat> Dr. Larry Barnes was a military doctor and he conducted the autopsy on Liz. It was only his fifth autopsy. His report oh stated yeah, that there was vascular malformation. And he determined her cause of death to be a cerebular hemorrhage, so a brain bleed. A neuropathology consultation consulted by Dr. Dr. Andrew Parisi concluded that no final determination could be made, yeah. but he did not see a vascular malformation. He said, quote, there is nothing diagnostic of von Wildebrand's disease in these actions. This is not a typical demise. So he's kind of alluding to it wasn't an accident, but he's not. Saying it wasn't an accident? Not coming out <coughs> and saying it right, right away. Right, which is kind of like, dude, it is or it isn't, you know? Yeah. So uh, the final report from the director of the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology stated that the cause of death was, quote, sudden unsuspected death due to a spontaneous intracranial hemorrhage complicating von Willebrand's disease. Natural. So she died. I can't do it with the one ear. It's weird. No. No. Um, so she died, essentially, of a brain aneurysm. She died of a brain bleed. Mm. Soon after this, uh, Michael moved back to the States. This was in June of 86. He brought Martha and Margaret with him because now he's their custodian. He's their custodial parent, according to the will that he drew up before oh. she died. So he has custody of the girls. Yeah. So the two girls you see in, like, the Dateline and everything like that, they're Liz's daughters. They're not his. Really? He had, he had two boys, naturally. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's it's very 
so they were they were young they were very young when she died um i mean they were born in 81 and 82 and she died in what 80 how do i 85 yeah. So they they don't remember her and in the documentaries and the TV shows they refer to her as um her their birth mother. Really? They didn't know her. They they didn't they didn't know her. That's interesting. So um so he went with the girls and a little later that summer Patty came with the boys and they all settled in Durham. Um because that's where you went to school, they liked it. The girls got bounced around a lot. It was like he took custody of them, but then he would say that um, the youngest was hard to handle and she was manipulative. She was fucking like two. And they kind of got bounced around Liz, like Liz's family. But then he would say, no, no, they, they need to come back with me. Hmm. Now, he never adopted them either, saying that uh, financially it was better to just remain guardian versus adoptive parent. So, in 1990, his first book, uh, Time of War, was released. Not his first book, I apologize. His book, Time of War. He was also paid a $600,000 advance, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, there were a few moves back and forth to Germany. <clears throat> Michael would go and bring the girls, and then Patty would go, and then they would come home, and then Patty would go with right. the boys, and then he... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. He would follow her and say, "Let's make this marriage work," and she's like, "Okay." And then, no. How did how did she go? Shut up. Um, so okay. they eventually separated because Patty, according to him, we don't know if Patty said this, but reading about Patty, I probably think she said uh, she wanted the girls to go with family in Rhode Island, telling Michael that she already had a family and she didn't sign up for another one. Ooh. Uh, Michael refused and said he was keeping the girls, and they ended wow. up separating. That's kind of harsh. Yeah. Um, Damn. Yeah. So they end up, now everybody's back in North Carolina. Well, Michael is. Uh, at, around the same time, a couple down the street, so on the same block, uh, the Atwaters, Fred and Kathleen, were also having marital issues. Yeah. Uh, Kathleen Morris Hunt was born on February 21st, 1953. In 1971, she uh, had a singular and historic honor of being the first woman ever admitted to Duke University's School of Engineering. Mm. In the summer of 1972, wow. Kathy signed up for a physics class. Her parents are like, well, that's not normal. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So they pack up and go to school and they meet uh, the physics department teaching assistant. Mm. And they're like, oh, now we get it. What? It was Fred Atwater. That's why she took the click. She fell in love. Love. Uh, by the fall semester, Kathy, who is now strictly going by Kathleen, and Fred were dating. In 1973, she took her first engineering job at Huth Engineers in Lancaster. And by the next summer, she was a junior engineer at W.M. Piet, I believe, and company in Durham. 
1975, she graduated from Duke with a Bachelor's of Science degree in Civil Engineering. And in August 3rd of 1975, Fred and Kathleen were married at the Magistrate's Office in Durham. Fred continued to work on his doctorate in physics, and Kathleen pursued her master's in civil engineering. These are smart fucking people. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like, I'm these schools and, like, and like stuff. Like, dude, I feel <laughs> fucking, yeah. I'm an idiot. I went to a community college. I'm like, reading it, and I'm like, well, at least I haven't had to look up any words yet. Oh, my God. Yeah. These are smart fucking people. Yeah. So... And here I am. <laughs> mm. um, hello. Hello. So the couple moved to Columbia, Maryland. Uh, and after two years of trying to uh, conceive, Kathleen finally got pregnant in 1981. April 27th of 1982, Caitlin Veronica was born. And in 1986, Fred took a job at GTE Government Systems in Raleigh, Durham. This is when they moved into the Forest Hills neighborhood with uh, on the same block as the Petersons. And they bought a sailboat. Um, of course they did. Like, sailing to me is a lot of work. If I'm going to be on a boat, I don't want to operate said boat with no. more than a nice little pirate wheel. Yeah, I, I don't either. And a beer. I want to jet ski and, yeah. like, go tubing and I want to be like Joey, that. where you pull a rope and a cooler for a, full of sandwiches. <laughs> comes down. Comes down. I don't want to be making sure that the sail goes up. Right. Right. Fuck, fuck all that. No. Quit playing with your dinghy. Oh, my God. In uh, June, or I'm, I made a comment the other day at work. But what are they serving tonight? Chicken or? Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> One of the guys at work I thought was going to pee his pants. Um, <laughs> June 8th of 1987, Kathleen started at Northern Telcom, which is now called Nortel. Uh, but things were starting to go downhill in the Atwater's marriage a young female co-worker of fred's was spending a lot of time at the house i'm, I'm sorry come again sure to the point like her sister was like uh dude what, what are you doing what are you doing <laughs> she said that there was an inappropriate level of intimacy Ooh, bitch you're in my house yeah like i have a really hard time with that go to mcdonald's it, right you want to hold his hand Go to a fucking parking lot, not in my house. Exactly. Yep. And she's spending time. What is she doing at the fucking house? What, right. what are you doing? Do you have play dates? <laughs> Again, right. with friends. You have a play date with a stripper? Right. <laughs> I, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Kathleen ignored it for as long as she could, which I don't know how the fuck you ignore that. You don't. I'd be like, hey, bye bye. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Um,. Fred would start moving out for like short periods of time and then coming back, which, <laughs> bye, bitch. <laughs> like, why did you not have the locks changed? Yeah. Threaten me. Bet. See what happens. Yeah. So after a final family trip to Disney, Fred moved out for good. Now, Kathleen and Michael met when their girls, so now there's Caitlin and Margaret and Martha, became friends. They were neighbors on the same block, really. Um, the girls were around the same age. They played Barbies. And with both of their marriages on the rocks, um, they eventually, they, they found comfort in each other's company. That's all they said. Nobody alluded to an affair. It was, you know, she was divorced. Her divorce was finalized. His was not. Um, it does come out, though, that Patty did not 
really want to sign off on the divorce. Yeah. And after she did sign off on it, she said that they were still married. Mm. I, I'm still married in the eyes of God, and that's what it is. I'm still his wife. She still wore her wedding ring. And, oh, God. Yeah. So is this my mom? I know. It wasn't really like on him, you yeah. know? They weren't living together. They had been separated for a while. So, I don't know. Uh, one day in 1989, Kathleen and Michael sat down with the girls and asked if they wanted to have a permanent sleepover. They were thrilled. They're like, cool, we get to play fucking Barbies all day. <laughs> right? Woo! Uh, Kathleen explained to Caitlin that her love for her would never change, but Margaret and Martha would also be her daughters now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Kathleen had always wanted more children and was beyond thrilled to now technically have three in the home and two outside of the home because she had his two boys. Yeah. Uh, who were becoming shitheads, by the way. Oh, were they? <laughs> One really? of them, yeah. Uh, far from Michael's strict, watchful eye, Clayton was becoming uh, an asshole. Hmm. Not, and not just like a college asshole. Like, he was making bombs. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And he blew up uh, a phone booth. Dude, yeah. wait, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. He went to prison. So he he attempted to send chemicals to I'm getting there to his dad in uh, North Carolina, but they leaked, and he like got caught. he's like sending acid from fucking Germany, dude. What? Um. So now that Michael's in North Carolina for good, he was ready to buy a home fitting of his position as a New York Times bestseller because his book fucking sold. He sold like a lot. Hopefully, um, mine does. <laughs> yeah, it will. <laughs> Uh, in addition to what was left from the $600,000 advance for a time of war, he had gotten more money when NBC acquired an option on that book. Now, I had to look that up. That means they want to make a movie. So when you, oh, you know, really? when you acquire an option to a book, it means you want to make a movie out of it. Yeah. Um, his agent had also sold his unfinished manuscript, Peace and Reparations, to Simon and Schuster for a $450,000 advance. We did not do your book right. We, not at all. Not the fuck at all. It's probably because we're trashy people who did not go to Duke. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Sorry, babe. Should have gone to fucking Duke. Mm-hmm. God damn it. I'm sorry, I'm not an engineer. I know. Son of a bitch. Michael ended up finding the perfect home. That was six bedrooms with a striking spiral staircase in the front of the house and a unique staircase in the back with an elaborate swimming pool. Uh, his This house was actually featured in the 1990 movie The Handsmaid Tale. I don't know what that is. I don't is. know what that is, yeah. Never seen um, it. So the house was listed for $1.2 million, but because Michael wasn't receiving a regular paycheck and was still legally married to Patty, the bank wanted her signature too. Mm. She was like, Okay. <laughs> what? what? At first she was like, no, I'm going to move into the house. You're going to boil his bunny too, aren't you? Yeah. Um, He actually had his parents talk her into it and she agreed to sign. Oh my God. So they closed in July of 1992. Um, Michael, Kathleen and the girls all moved in, followed shortly by Clayton, who had just graduated high school in Germany. Now, this little shit was enrolled as an engineering student at Duke. And then shortly after that, his other son, Todd, moved in after yeah. graduating high school. Uh, Kathleen blended the family seamlessly. And her one big thing was she wanted everybody at the dinner table every night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, blend. Yeah, blend. It's 
cult disclosure, you dickhead. <laughs> Love it. Oh my god, the album, babe. Um, Kathleen was happy, but she she missed her family. Her and her sister hadn't spoken in over a year. Um, her sister was upset that she was moving in with Michael while he was still legally married. Yeah. She didn't really understand that there was no relationship. Right. Right. Um, so Kathleen decided to plan and throw a family reunion and everybody came and everything was back to normal and they liked Michael and they found him funny and entertaining. Uh, Michael would write during the day and work out at the YMCA every day at four. Sounds like my life. Uh, (laughs) Hold, hold that thought. Except playing fucking Xbox. Mm. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you're not going to the steam room for a homosexual tryst. Oh, no. Yeah, that's why I said hold that thought, because this escalates quickly. Yeah, no. <laughs> so sometimes he'd be gone until 7, 7.30, which would make everybody wait for dinner. Um, no wieners for me. It was rumored that the steam room had become a trysting place for homosexual activity. There would be a lookout posted on the bench outside. What? Yeah. Mm. Never going into a steam room again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what to say to that. Wainers on the window. I feel like the activity in and of itself makes you hot and sweaty. Now you want to do it in a oh steam room? Oh, my God. Uh. Gives new term. Bumping uglies. Ugh. Butts to nuts. Butts to nuts, man. So during the summer of 1993, Michael sent Clayton to Duke Hospital for counseling because of disciplinary problems at home and at school. Uh, but in a bit of irony, Michael was shortly arrested for a DWI, which was later reduced to reckless driving. Clayton then gets arrested for placing bombs at school. What the fuck is going on with mm-hmm. this dude? So he gave a bunch of different fucking reasons that I didn't even write down because he's stupid. Yeah. Um, he eventually is sentenced to four years and one month in federal prison. Oh, my God. He had to pay $1,700 for damages and then was on probation afterwards. Jeez. Um, okay. So now Michael decides now during this scandal uh, would be a good time to write a book about the Camp Pendleton porno scandal. Sure. So he wrote a nine-page description outlining a creative nonfiction work attacking the military's denial of rampant homosexual activity and its fear of the threat it posed. It would detail the 43 discharges and imprisonment of one, reveal the cult underground of pornographic films, and expose, quote, the records of the men who conducted this witch hunt. Wainers. He went on to say, quote, the fear and prejudice of homosexuals is just another in the long line of bigotry, and eventually it will be overcome. There is no question of this. The only question is when, what, after all, is there to fear? So I had to look it up. The porno scandal. Yeah. Apparently, um, it, this was, it started with like five different Marines were caught like making porn and, and taking what? new photographs. Gay for pay, pretty much. Gay for pay. Um, because they said they weren't getting paid enough, you know, and so they're alone with gay for pay. men for how long. But then, like, it's like they crack this egg. And, it, I mean, other branches of the military got involved. What? Like, now there's men and women. But it became a really? big to-do because 43 Marines were discharged for homosexual 43? activity. 43? For homosexual activity. Because it was not, you could Whoa. not be 
gay and in the military at that time. Wow. Yeah. So it was a big fucking to do. Yeah. Um, which I never understood that. Who? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Who fucking cares? Who cares? So he's holding a dick and a rifle. What does right. it matter? I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't. So he then placed an ad in Frontiers News Magazine, which was a um, a, a magazine geared towards gay men. Um, in September of 1994, looking for people who were involved in this scandal to try and interview them. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1995, Michael got into politics. He wrote letters to the newspaper blasting the school system and the principal and attacked the way the money was being spent on perks for the school administration. In March of 1996, uh, his manuscript, Peace and Reparations, was retitled uh, A Bitter Peace. It became a 405-page hardback novel that was released. And then shortly after that, Michael and Patty's marriage was uh, officially and legally dissolved. Mm. On December 31st of 1996, Michael proposes to Kathleen. So, I mean, they were together for like seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, on June 21st, 1997, they were married at their Cedar Street home. In 97, Michael started as a columnist for the Herald Sun... Um, he attacked the police department administration, uh, the DA, the city council, um, the proposed tax increase that was coming up. The big thing though, he always said was that the cops were underpaid and underappreciated by the administration. He always wow. said that. Yeah. That's how it is. in yeah. Most areas. So now the chief and the canine officer fired back responses immediately. The canine officer was like, listen, if you think it's so fucked up, come do a ride along. And Michael's like, okay, cool. He went and did a couple ride alongs and him and this canine officer ended up becoming like lifelong friends. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so while he was busy pissing people off, Kathleen was at work getting conference rooms named after her. What? Yeah. She's now in charge of 300 employees in offices all Whoa. over. Yeah. She also amassed millions in stock options. So she ended up having her salary and her bonuses, 80% of it she sent towards um, like retirement, essentially. Again, babe, why didn't you go to Duke? I know. Son of a bitch. I don't know what engineers do. I don't know either, but you didn't go to Duke, goddammit. I know. Like, and I don't feel bad because we have somebody who's in, he's an engineering student. And I was like, what does that mean? And my boy Gregory was like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, thank you. I don't. What do? What do? I, I'm sorry. I'm. I, I have no idea what engineers do. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Someone, either. go ahead and school me. That's fine. Right. Um. So, in August of 1999, calling himself the Jesse Ventura of Durham politics, <laughs> he paid the 156 dollar and 70 cent filing fee and became a mayoral candidate. Uh, The Herald Sun that he worked for pulled his column to avoid conflict of interest, so he responded by renting out a weekly ad space to post his column. (laughs) Um, He was actually gaining popularity until he was confronted about lying about his Purple Heart. He said that he received a Purple Heart, and you have to be wounded in war, I guess, to get a Purple Heart. It was really a car accident in Japan. Yeah. Um, so people are like, what the fuck? Why would you lie about that? Like you were in the military you were in Vietnam. Like you That's, did great. Yeah. You don't need to elaborate. Right. 
So Kathleen, though, was becoming wealthier on paper. In September of 2000, her um, stock options and all that shit was peaking at $2.4 million. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Whoa. But then, without warning, it all crumbled. Okay. This was when the stocks plummeted. Uh, yeah. So her stock nest egg sunk to $900,000, which mm. is still a great nest egg, but from $2.4 yeah, million. Yeah, that's, that's a big jump. So now she's getting nervous people are starting to get laid off and so she has a prescription for valium and i say that because it comes up um she went to florida when her mom's partner of 14 years passed away and she was there with her sister candace who she confided in that things were not going well at work um the demands of the kids and college and michael were just it was too much yeah uh the house was huge and no one helped her with upkeep and they could no longer afford a housekeeper the house needed a shit ton of work. Um, birds or some shit had gotten to the roof. Uh, termites had gotten to the living room, and Ooh. they had no. Um, they had plumbing issues, and she wasn't able to take a shower for like months. What? She could bathe, but she couldn't like take a shower. Yeah. Michael refused to sell the house. Wow. Why, okay. dumbass? Don't yeah. you want a shower? Yeah. I don't know. Kathleen said that she was tired and not enjoying. Is your ear bothering you? Yeah, it is, but I can't do it the one side. So I had an industrial a little while back, and I popped it back through the other day. It doesn't hurt. It's just it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So sorry. I keep fiddling with it. Um, So she said she was tired and not enjoying what she was doing or life in general. (laughs) So in July, it became worse when her stock nest egg was now below $50,000. Um. At a family gathering, Kathleen was obviously stressed and agitated, and Valium was the only thing that helped. She did not abuse it. Pills are good. Listen, I love me a good Valium going to the dentist. Oh, yeah. So, um, Michael also seemed a little, quote unquote, off, but the behavior was just kind of chalked up to the financial stress. Because he's not, he doesn't earn a paycheck. Right. So. Right. Which, I'm sorry, sir, are you too good to go to work at McDonald's? Yeah. That's I'm very happy for you that you wrote a book, but you yeah. have a roof to pay for. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I just I don't understand that when people are like, well, I'm not going to work there. I'm sorry. You're too good to support you're your family. Too, exactly. You're, a you're, paycheck is a paycheck. You're too good to support your family. Dude, money coming in is money coming in. My family likes to eat. Yeah. I like to eat. Right. So I will do what I have to do to make sure that we all get to eat. Right. I don't. I don't. Yep. Know. It bothers me. And I appreciate that, baby. You're very welcome. Enjoy your Starbucks. Oh, I did. Actually, trust me. Thank Kate. And for now that, I'm, it was her gift card. Thank you, Kate. And now I'm onto the coffee that you made me, and it's fucking phenomenal. I'm really good at it. I'm just. Dude, saying. it is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yep. All Never right. thought I would like iced coffee. No, especially because it's like frou frou. Yep. It's really not. It's, it's heavy cream and it's, oh, it's. I try to get the vanilla coffee. It's good. So. Whatever it is, it is good. I don't know. Um, so in August of 2001, Michael was given the number to Brad, who was an army. Brad. Brad. He's an army. Uh, he's. Are they considered veterans if they're still in? I don't think so. so. He's in the military then. He's in the army and worked as a male-to-male escort. Oh. Brad, 
on the stand, fucking hilarious. They asked him, so what do you do? And he's like, oh, I mean, a little bit of everything. <laughs> That's like a broad question. I was like, Brad, you're... You're the you're the best. He just was like oh, a little bit of wiener. Oh, a, a lot, a lot. That's a real. It's just a broad question. I don't think I should answer all of that, but you can figure Brad. it out. Yeah, Brad was a fucking rock star, man. That's awesome. So Michael reached out to Brad, suggesting a meetup. Now correspondence started with at one point uh, Michael saying, "Quote: Evenings are not great for me, anyways. I'm married, very happily married, with a dynamite wife." Yes, I know, I know. I'm very bi, and that's all there is to it. Now, Brad was like, uh, well, I don't want a relationship. And Michael's like, uh, I don't either. Just nuts to butts, and I'm good. Um, butts to nuts. They never ended up meeting. There was a lot of very racy emails back and forth. Mm. Um, but he does, he, he very much says that. I want to touch your wiener. Yeah. I'm sure that was said in like 17 different ways. Um, but he, he very much says he's married. He's very happily married. And but by all accounts, everybody said they were happily married. Yeah. So on December 5th, 2001, Michael emailed Kathleen at work saying, quote, here's the scoop on The Independent, which was a newspaper. Uh, there were no invitations, but we can still go. Let me know if you want me to call in or we could just show up at the door on Friday night. You looked great last night. If only we hadn't gone to Pale Limb, which was a restaurant. Uh, let's work on our marriage tonight. Mm. Nobody really knows what this email meant because it was found after the fact. Yeah. Um, on December 6th of 2001, Kathleen changed her salary deferral from 80% to 10%. So now mm. it's no longer 80% of her salary and bonuses going towards stock options. It's yeah. only 10%. Wow. Uh, on December 7th, Kathleen took a vacation day and her and Michael went shopping. They went to Costco and a few other places buying Christmas gifts for the kids, a TV for the house, um, and a Christmas tree for the house, which they put up that afternoon. Nice. Uh, they also received news that afternoon that um, Stratton Leopold, a Hollywood producer, wanted to option Charlie Two Shoes. So now this is the second book. Um, this guy's most recent movie was The General's Daughter. You remember that? Oh, I With do. John Travolta? Yeah. yeah. So that night, they went to the party thrown by the Independent to celebrate. They danced and socialized until about 1 a.m. On December 8th, Kathleen went into work to prepare for an upcoming business trip to the home office, which was just outside of Toronto. She was supposed to go that following Monday. She left the office at 4. Michael spent the day writing and uh, fucking around on the Internet. He then left for the YMCA minutes before Kathleen was due home. Which, you knew she was coming home. Yeah. Whatever, but... um, At 6 o'clock, Michael called Kathleen from the YMCA, and she expressed annoyance at all the time he spent at the gym. That's the nice way of saying, where the fuck are you? (laughs) You're gone for way too long. What? You should be looking like a rock star. What the fuck are you doing at the YMCA? (laughs) Right. And why the fuck are you calling me from said YMCA? Right. If you're not coming home. Yeah. So expressed annoyance was a very polite way of saying Yeah. Uh, he suggested that they stay in that night and watch a movie and celebrate the news about the movie. So just before seven, Michael rents America's Sweethearts at a blockbuster. 
Blockbuster. Um, my dad used to take us to Blockbuster on Fridays. It was fucking great. Uh, see, we had Orland Video. No, man, Blockbuster. No, Orland Video was, was the way to I, go. I used to get so disappointed when you would like pull the movie off the shelf and you're like, oh, there's no movie there's in no here. There's no movie. Yes. You wait by the drop off. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we, God, we sucked as kids. Um, no, it was the shit it really when was. we were kids. We used to watch American Gladiators. Oh, my dad my would God. make us all frozen pizzas and we'd watch American Gladiators. Yeah. Yeah. Babe, that, that, that was, was the, the show. Shit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Man, they should bring that back. They should. Do you think all the? Do you think they're still alive? I, you know what? I don't know, but I wonder, like on Netflix or on Amazon Prime, if there's like reruns. Nitro. Nitro was the shit, man. The, the girls were scary, man. They were. They, they were, were like a bunch of Chinas. Amazons. <laughs> yeah, it was like a bunch of Chinas. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna see if there's reruns. We should make Jacks watch it. Yeah. Oh, he'd love it. Because his new thing is he fucking army rolls into the living room now? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, first of all, <laughs> he's mine. So, yeah. So he's ophi as fuck. Yeah. And he has to, like, prepare himself <laughs> to go down to do the army roll. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to try and tape it because it's it's literally amazing. But he does it every morning when he comes down now. Uh Amazing. Yeah. Dude, he's so cool. Is so, like his personality. I, I love that kid so much. So he, he calls me last night and he wants to stay on the phone with me while I'm at work. Yeah. And I have my earpiece in. And I didn't realize like you can sometimes hear the earpieces and apparently the mics pick stuff up. Yeah. I was trying to dispatch a call and uh my earpiece fell out as he did something on the game and he's like, God damn it. <laughs> Pretty sure I heard it through Fireband, and I was like, oh, shit. But um, we also, you would appreciate this. I almost called you. Um, I'm listening to my my dispatch mom in the other room, and I'm like, did, did she just say meow? Meow. And I'm like, did you, did you just say meow? And she's like, maybe. Good job. Apparently her and one of the firemen, who I'll tell you when we're done, that is that is their thing. Yeah. It is so, like, if you don't, like, if you're not paying attention. You don't catch it. You're like, what the, she, what, she just said meow. And I, I mean, I, fire, I pay attention. Right, meow. Y- yes, because I fire ban right in front of me. Yeah. But then last week, I mean, she's been dispatching for a while. They had an actual fire. And one of the fire chiefs is like, all right, Nance, I'm on scene. And I'm like, Did, did he just call you Nance? And she's like, yeah, he does it all the time. So, sorry. That's funny. Even the Harvey guy, like, she's just, she's there all the time. But yeah, she was, uh, she was saying meow. That's cool. Yeah. Good so, for her. Um, So, Kathleen, um, okay. According to Christina Tomasetti, who was Todd Peterson's friend, girlfriend, whatever, at the time. Todd Peterson is the son that lives with them, remember? Yeah. Um, they stopped by the house at 945. When they stopped by, Kathleen and Michael were drinking white wine and champagne watching the movie. Wine is so good. Oh, by the way, someone asked what kind of wine we were drinking. I'll have to look at the bottle, but I also, because I was like, I thought wine didn't freeze. And I was told it's I, it depends on the alcohol volume. It, yeah, you have it in the freezer. Yeah, because it's not, I didn't think it was supposed to freeze. Which it means, did. Yeah, which means the alcohol content is not fucking high enough. Okay. So okay. that's what I was told. But yeah, someone asked what kind of wine we were drinking and I... I'll, I'll find I it. I didn't know. Um, So around 1030, Christina and Todd leave for a neighborhood party, which, dude, 
at 1030 you're leaving for a party it's late it's way too late i'm in bed you you've been in bed for two hours I'm at in, that point i've been in bed I, i'm been taking my medicine and i'm falling asleep oh my god so just after 11 kathleen returned a call to a canadian colleague about the conference call scheduled for the following morning which fuck you having a conference call on a sunday morning being an engineer yeah fuck that i mean like with my job yeah but no um they exchanged personal emails and for some reason kathleen gave i love that that's guys that's the ringtone for his mom (laughs) That's the Imperial March, right? Yep. (laughs) Uh, That's my mom calling. Yeah. Um, I had to play that. Sorry, guys. So for some reason, she gave Michael's email address. I don't. I and it didn't seem like a big to do. Like it's the same as us. Passwords were whatever. Didn't matter. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be texting my mom just so so she knows we're mm. recording. This was so they could share documents online before the call. Because you, you, we got to remember, it's 2001. Like, internet was internet, but it wasn't like, whoo, internet, you know? Yeah. Uh, the colleague would later say that Kathleen's demeanor was very professional. She had no slurred speech, and there was no indication of impairment. Um, now, what happened over the next three and a half hours is really up for debate. Michael stated that the two of them were sitting by the pool talking. Kathleen went inside around 1.45 to 2. Now, this time changes. It varies. Um, Michael stayed outside, and a lot of people question him staying outside because he was in shorts and a T-shirt, and it was 55. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I went outside the other day in a T-shirt and flip-flops when it was snowing. So a T-shirt and shorts in 55-degree weather does not seem odd to me, but I guess if you're from the South and you're not used to it, 55 is a little chilly. That's um, shorts for me. You're in shorts year round. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I was outside in snow and flip flops the other day. Like 55 right. to us is like heat wave. Oh, yeah. You know, Big windows time. down. And Fuck so I yeah. didn't question him being outside. Um, He comes inside about 45 minutes later and finds Kathleen at the bottom of the back staircase. Um, So now on December 9th, that morning, Mary Allen's shift in Durham's 911 call center started off slow. But at 2.40, she answers an incoming call. So now I'm just going to say him and her, what their conversation was. Uh, Durham 911, where is your emergency? Michael is screaming, 1810 Cedar Street, please. What's wrong? My wife had an accident. She's still breathing. What kind of accident? She fell down the stairs. She's still breathing. Please come. Is she conscious? What? He didn't really seem to understand the question, so she repeated it. Is she conscious? No, no, she's not conscious. Please. How many stairs did she fall down? He says, what? Huh? She says, how many stairs? He says, the back stairs. She says again, how many stairs? Now, to some, that may seem like an odd question. It is not. That is very pertinent, important information to paramedics. Right. Uh, We also want to know what kind of stairs they are. Were they carpeted? Were they not carpeted? Do they have steel on the end? Like, was it? Because falling down two stairs versus falling down 15 stairs, that's a big difference. Big difference. Falling down carpeted stairs yes, versus tile stairs, big fucking difference. So he says, uh, oh, uh, he can't really talk. And she says, calm down, sir. Calm down. Um, he appeared to kind of catch his breath and offhandedly said, 15 to 20, I don't know. 
He then started screaming again, please get somebody here right away, please. And she said, okay, somebody's dispatching the ambulance while I'm asking you questions. So now I would like to split for a PSA. Yeah. When you call 911, there is more than one person in the room. The person that is talking to you is asking you questions to give answers to the responding officers and or EMS crews. Right. Their partner is dispatching said crews. Right. It's not impeding the ability of the crews to get to your house. Right. But answering those questions is very, very important to us as responding crews. Michael could then be heard almost whimpering, breathe, and then the line went dead. At 2.46 a.m., Michael calls again saying, where are they? This is 1810 Cedar. She's not breathing. Please, please, would you hurry up? Uh, In response to the status change, another dispatcher sends out a code five page. So this indicates that the patient's status has now been critical and police have been dispatched to the scene. Mm. Uh, Paramedics arrive. The first thing they noticed was that no one was making any effort um, at first aid or CPR. And then they saw blood. Uh, One of the medics stated that in his career, he had been to 30 to 40 falls and had never seen so much blood. It looked like the scene of a massacre versus a fall down the stairs. But it had wounds bleed. Right, which is what they actually can see to during yeah. the trial, you know. Um, so Kathleen's body was sprawled across the hardwood floor with her legs spread and bloody socks in between her legs. There was drying blood on the soles of her feet. <clears throat> there was a blood-spattered roll of paper towels next to her left foot with uh, a pile of used, like, bath towels. Mm-hmm. Um, next to that was Michael's gym shoe with blood on it. There was also drying blood on Kathleen's gray sweatpants. The hip and waist area of her pants were saturated. Her bloody hands were half clenched, uh, awkwardly placed in her lap, and her shoulders were at an odd angle with her head all the way back. Um, there was blood caked in her hair, which obviously. Blood covered the stairs and the door jam all the way up the walls. When the paramedics asked Michael how long it had been since the fall, he responded with, quote, I just went outside to turn out the lights and came in. Uh, according to the mar- paramedics, Kathleen was, quote, very dead. <laughs> so they were doing a confirmation, which is where they yeah. just confirmed that she is asystolic. Um, and one of the medics said that it appeared as if she was dead long before the medics were called. He would say at trial later, it was approximately 30 to 45 minutes, which is kind of an odd number for a paramedic to give. Yeah. We usually say more in hours. I mean, mm-hmm. it's either 15 minutes or an hour, you know? Yeah. So Michael was outside on the patio. He was not crying, but he appeared to be in shock. He was covered in blood and was really unable to not only comprehend the questions, but answer them, mm-hmm. which is not uncommon. Well, that's not uncommon not at, at all. all. Um, so PD came in and observed that there was a stair lift on that staircase which I didn't know, like that one of those chairs. Yeah. So they wondered if that had anything to do with the fall, but then they were told it was installed by a previous owner. Oh. Okay, okay. until you trip on it. Yeah. You ever tried getting around that thing? Hit your head on Mm -hmm. it. Yes. Or, I mean, you... Because it's metal, isn't it? It's metal. And so is the the track it's on. Yeah. Um, And if it's kind of a narrow staircase, there's not a lot of room. No. You know, to get by. So, um, Michael ends up, or excuse me, Todd ends up showing back up with his friend, Christina. They see the commotion at the party that they're at and they come home. Um, Todd's the one who says to Michael, 
she's dead. The paramedics are here. She's dead. Um, at one point, one of his friends who was shit-faced shows up with another girlfriend of theirs who was a, a Duke medical resident. Um, another Duke. I know. Jeez. And she's, this one's a medical resident. Oh, my God. So Tad's like, let her in. She's a doctor. And she said, <laughs> she says to them, I'm a doctor. Is there anything I can do? And the paramedics are like, yeah, if there was anything that you could do, we would be doing it. Cool. <laughs> right. Thanks. Go stand in the corner. Right. Um, Mr. Duke. Yeah. So then Tad asked her to go look at Michael, who, again, appeared to be in shock. Yeah. Um, Tad said that Kathleen drank a lot and had been heavily drinking four hours prior. Now, that was Tad saying this. Mm-hmm. Um, CID, which is... Oh. What? That's, I, I can't read it. No, it says... I'll tell you in a minute. Um, uh, Sergeant Fran Borden arrived on scene. Fran is a boy. Fran. Fran is a boy. Fran. Um, so he saw blood on the kitchen drawer and the glass front cabinet above, which he said was his first red flag. Uh, Kathleen's position was his second red flag. And how bloody she was was the third red flag. I don't see these red flags. Mm. Um, he was convinced that the scene was not consistent with any other accidental fall down the stairs that he had seen. Yeah. Uh, at 3.40 a.m., the scene was officially declared a crime scene. Uh, Michael stood outside and repeatedly complained about the cold, which a lot of people pointed out because they're like, well, you just sat outside in 55 degree weather. So what? I he would was, too. He was also drinking. So yeah. you're a little bit warmer. And now he's standing outside in shock watching like people stop being judgy mcjudge yeah so you have um, no clue how you're gonna react none. when something like nobody this knows how someone's gonna react i've seen so many different reactions mm-hmm. everything every situation is different yeah so you have no clue how you're gonna react and you don't know you can't judge how somebody else is going to react either right because just because you feel that it's not appropriate doesn't mean that it's not appropriate. Right. Some people. Now he's calling me. What? Here, yeah. pause it. Sorry, that was uh, work. There was uh, it's a subpoena was dropped off. He wanted to know where to put it. <laughs> So he calls me. So he calls Mark, yeah. Which is funny because I I think it's hilarious that like there's no there's no boundary. I know. He calls you, you don't answer, and then he calls me right away. But in the same sense that like you call me and I don't answer, so you call little Jackie. (laughs) Right. And you're like, where the fuck is Jamie? Right. So I it's funny. That's it's all family. There's no there's no boundary. Right. Um yeah, I'll tell you about this morning. He made me mad. And I told him as much. Um but yeah, you, you don't know how you're no. going to react. No. No one knows. Mm-mm. Every situation is different. And I've seen every kind of reaction at, at different situations. I have two reactions that you think are like, mm, yeah. come on. But like you and me, when we're uncomfortable, we laugh. Right. <laughs> we laugh, right. which is very inappropriate. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I mean, it's just you can't judge that. Right. You can't. So I don't know. Um, so just before 4 a.m., 
uh, Detective Holland of the Homicide Division and a domestic violence homicide detective arrived, or domestic violence detective, excuse me, arrived. Uh, again, both shocked at the amount of blood. Uh, Michael, Todd, and the drunk friend, Ben, were put in the den together. They kept whispering to each other. They were repeatedly told to stop, obviously. The two females that were there were put in a different room, and they went to sleep, <laughs> which is, I mean, same girl, same. That's what I would yeah. do. Um, Michael asked if he needed to call an attorney, which always get an attorney. Always get an attorney. Yes, I understand. While we do this, and the first thing we say is, if you lawyer up, you look guilty, but it's, lawyer the fuck up. Yep. yep. Always. Um, so then they were told, in order for them to stay together in that room, they need to quit fucking talking to each yeah. other, which is, it makes sense. The cops are doing what they're supposed to be yeah. doing. Um, there wasn't enough people to separate them completely. Right. Um, so Michael finally changed into sweats and drunk Ben attempted. The only thing I should say is someone should have been brought to the station. Like they should have brought Michael to the station. Yeah, They all stayed at the house. So they, they should have taken him to the station. Um, so Michael finally changed and drunk Ben, um, balled up his clothes and attempted to hand them to a uniformed officer who would not take them. He said, because of chain of custody, he said, I'm not touching them. Keep them rolled up in a ball. Put them on the windowsill. Don't touch them again. We'll have a CSI guy come in and take them. That's good. So, I mean, they did what they should have done. Yeah, you that's know? good. I mean, he could have taken it. And all you do is just write in, in the report. Right. You know, I took custody it of it. It kind of sounded I, like he didn't have anything to put it in. Oh, yeah. So. Then I, I, I get it. You know. Um. So now they're they're locked in this den. Michael sits down at the computer. He goes on the internet. He checks his email. Um, he's not crying at this point, but at this point, he's just he's mumbling to himself about Kathleen's work email and this, that, and the other. And so Todd ends up calling his uncle Bill in Reno, who is Michael's brother, who is a civil attorney. Chance. So Uncle Bill's a civil attorney. Um, Todd explained everything. And said, is this normal? And Bill's like, nope. No, it's not. Uh, Bill said he knew without asking that there was a custodial investigation and it appeared the police had fixated on his brother as a probable murder suspect. He's the husband. He He was the only one home. Yeah. They're going to. Of course they're going to. But then Bill told Todd to immediately instruct his dad to stop talking to the police that he was now being represented by an attorney who's on the phone and he wants to speak to the chief on the scene. Yeah. Stop throwing your dick around. Right. Uh, okay, so you're his attorney. Perfect. Right. Uh, nobody on the scene would talk to him. <laughs> so, you don't. No. You don't, want, you don't, you know, don't know who, who it the fuck is, he is on the phone. Yeah. It could be Joe Blow. So Todd called the desk cop, you know, at the station. And the desk cop is like, cool. What, why are you telling me this? Right. And he's like, well, no one on the scene will talk to me. And the desk guy's like, yeah, I'm not going to either. Right. So, whatever. If you're not there in person, <clears throat> we don't know who the fuck you right. are. Now, after arriving on scene, Corporal Kim Gregory was told the victim died from falling down the stairs. She laughed, thinking that they were making fun of her because she fell down the stairs at the station the day before. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, when his demeanor remained serious, she was like, shit, he's not kidding. Mm. Yeah, she said she felt bad, but 
Um, so the Emmy, Dr. Kenneth Snell, we, we have a lot of Snells. A lot of Snells. Yeah. Uh, arrived on scene. He examined Kathleen where she was positioned and noticed a four-inch laceration to the back of her head. That's huge. 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 Yeah. Um, he noticed that the blood was damp when they were moving her into a body bag. So now we're kind of contradicting what the paramedics were saying and the police initially were saying that there was dried blood everywhere. Mm. Um he discovered three more major injuries to the head, as well as many other minor lacerations, bruises, and abrasions. Uh, after 10 minutes, he uh, ended the exam on the scene, knowing he could not make any definitive determinations there. He then told Lieutenant Holland, quote, if it is not a fall in the stairs, it was a rod-like instrument. You should be looking for something like that. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, they bagged up Michael's clothes and asked for Todd's clothing also. Uh, at 8.30 in the morning, mortuary services picked up Kathleen to bring her to the Chapel Hill Emmy's office. Todd refused to give a statement, which he should. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Michael started making phone calls to the family. Um, her brother, Steve, immediately said, quote, there's no way she fell down those stairs. He must have had something to do with it. Now, if you have not seen the documentary, these are very steep stairs. Yeah. They're very narrow they stairs. They are. And they are not carpeted. Right. I believe they are tiled over concrete. Yeah, so I, I can't remember. But <clears throat> they're definitely not carpeted. I know carpeted. they were steep. They were very steep. And she was wearing flip-flops. So I fucking trip on air. Yeah, you so, do. So, I, I mean, I fall down our fucking stairs all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so back at the scene, hair, fibers, and Christmas tree needles along with samples of wood, were taken from the staircase. Uh, the house was searched for a weapon, which they could not find. They never found mm -hmm. a murder weapon. For some unexplainable reason, the towels under Kathleen's head, the eyeglasses in the stairway, or the bloody phone were not collected. Uh, CSI, uh, the CSI techs were finishing up around 2 p.m. after starting at 7 p.m. the night before. Uh, Dr. Deborah Radish, who is a forensic pathologist, performed Kathleen's autopsy. Uh, she was <clears throat> a healthy female, 120 pounds, five foot two. She was little. Yeah. Um, so she would bounce, I would imagine. She found three small bruises in a line pattern over the right eyelid, three small scratches uh, diagonal over the right eyebrow. She said that they could not be the result of impact on a flat surface because there were protruding things that would stop it. So like your nose would stop the hit before it would get to your eye. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't, there's still a banister. Yeah. And there's still that stair lift. And you're not going to fall like straight into You're the, not going to be like, let me turn my face. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, cool that. there was a small area of damaged skin and a faint bruise on her forehead. There were other marks on her face that this doctor said most likely was caused by fingernails or talons. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, there were bruises to the earlobe and nose that she said were caused by uh, blunt force trauma. There was no damage inside the mouth. However, she did have a chipped tooth, but they were unable to determine when it happened. Hmm. Uh, she did shave her head and found seven areas of wounds, many went down to the skull but did not fracture the skull yeah one was an avulsion which is a flap you know so like when you cut and you have a flap yeah um and one was a tripoded wound which like so picture a rake yeah 
or an owl foot. And it was like the three prongs. Oh, stop with the owl. I'm not kidding. Um, She said that each was caused by individual impact. And in her opinion, the injuries were the result of being struck by an object or against an object and were inconsistent with a fall. I would like somebody to explain to me how splitting the back of your head open is inconsistent with a fall on the stairs. Yeah. All it takes is one good crack against the wall, the banister, the stair lift, or a stair. And you're going to crack your head open. You're going to crack your head open. So how is that inconsistent? I never understood how it's inconsistent with it. It seems very consistent with the fall. Yeah. So they also, um, they found hair grasped in both of her hands. Animal hair. Was not human hair. Uh, Don't tell me it was an owl. I just, I'm just saying. Uh, There were (laughs) Frasier fur needles stuck in the blood on her hands, which was the Christmas tree. Uh, There were bruising and some injuries to the hands, wrists, and elbows, which in her opinion are consistent, the doctor's opinion, are consistent with someone fending off an attack, which that seems like a very big opinion to me. That's a very big opinion. Um, So she did find cranial hemorrhage, which is bleeding in between the skull and the brain. She also found a small subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is bleeding inside of the brain, uh, but no skull fractures. She also found um, a fracture with some hemorrhaging on the small extension of the left thyroid cartilage. Um, Thyroid cartilage fractures are not common in general, but they make a point to say that they're not common in falls. Um, And they also say that they're common in strangulation or attempted strangulation. But from all the research I could find, they're not any more common in a fall than they are strangulation. Like the numbers are, are the same. It's just an uncommon Injury. Yeah. Um, there was no blood in her airway and no aspiration. Her uh, blood alcohol content was 0.07. Mm. She determined her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head and determined that the manor was homicide. Which, how? Wow. I don't understand. And I'm not being a dick. Like, I'm wow. not trying to take sides. I've seen somebody fall down 15 fucking cement I stairs. Too. I I mean, this is what it looks like. This, this is what it looks like. This is exactly what it looks like. Because if you hit once and knock yourself unconscious, you can't protect your head. One of my last cases was the guy who fell down mm-hmm. the stairs. If you're knocked unconscious on the first fall, you cannot tuck and roll. Yeah. So there's no protection, which means everything's flopping around. Your head's yeah. hitting shit. I don't know. So Durham PD spent a, sent a blood spatter uh, investigator to the scene who took one look and was like, nope. This is out of my league, okay. which kudos, because I bet you if it was a dude, he wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Uh, so she called the State Bureau of Investigation to get That's a sexist. blood spatter specialist. You know I'm fucking right. Um, she found it, or they found, excuse me, there to be an irrational partial cleanup job. Now, it appeared as if not so much it was a cleanup job, but like there was a lot of blood and they were trying Somebody was trying, <laughs> yeah, like trying. I like a lot of butt. You know, like you're like trying to clean up the initial spill, and you just take yeah. a towel and like push. And That's just, what it looked like. Yeah. Um. So then he started the stringing process, which is you you look at blood spatter from the source yeah. to the final spot. Right. Um. He looked at Michael's shorts, um, which looked like it had a large diluted blood stain on the front, um, and there was blood spatter on the back. In the crotch area and inside the right leg, which he immediately said, well, he had to be standing over her, beating her. 
What? Or he's standing over her and she's literally spurting from a fucking arterial bleed. Yeah. Like that's never once mentioned. There's a lot of little arteries in your head that'll just be like, boop, 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 boop. Right. Um, now, he also said that the... Man, this, this just seems so biased it Very already. much so. It was like immediate. Yeah. So um, there was blood on Michael's shoes that uh, this guy suggests that the foot was under dripping blood, which makes sense because there was room under where her head was, like where you could stand. Mm. So if he's under her foot, her head, you know. He also said there was a clear, sharp impression uh, of the sole of a foot on the top back of Kathleen's leg, which I could not find a picture of. So okay. uh, he also concerned himself with Todd's jeans. They had mostly transfer stains and smears of blood. But on the bottom right leg, there was one large drop to which he concluded Todd had to have been carrying something heavy and the blood dripped onto him. These are a lot of conclusions. A lot of conclusions. Yeah. And a lot of ones like these, a lot of these things I could be like, okay, well, it could be this or this. Yeah. And these guys were like, no, it was this. It was this. Right. So, um, toxicology tests would eventually show that Kathleen had diazepam, which is Valium. Whoa. Um, which she had a script for. Yeah. Um, chlorphenaramine, I think I'm saying that right, which is Allegra. It's fucking antihistamine. Um, cyclobenazeprine, which is flexoral, and uh, nicotine. Okay. Okay. The Valium, I would have fallen on those too. The Valium, the, it's the only one I could find. The Valium was listed as a therapeutic dose. Mm-hmm. However, therapeutic dose, the point of Valium is sedation. Yeah. So, so a therapeutic dose is still, still going gonna, to sedate you. Right. And she stated previously that the Valium was the only thing that helped her stress with work. She had a conference call the next fucking day. And she was having a couple drinks. Now, I'm not judging in any way, shape, oh, or form. I'm right. Get it, girl. Because if I had some Valium and some fucking white wine, we'd be having a great time tonight. Yeah. So I'm not judging. I'm just saying. A therapeutic dose of Valium is still going to sedate you. Yeah. Flexorol. Oh, my God. I can't move from the fucking neck down. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so, that fucks me up. Yeah, I, it really gets me. Um, so they also did luminol to see, you know, obviously cleaned up blood. Um, and they found luminol footprints from the stairs to the kitchen sink, which Michael said he went upstairs and grabbed bath towels and then was going back and forth to the kitchen sink to get them wet. So what's unusual about so they're, that? They're going to you're going to see them. Yeah. Um. So a few days after her death, police seized a walking stick by the fireplace and other possible items matching what the Emmy described, but found no obvious murder weapon. Uh, police then released the home to the family. Um, Todd, or excuse me, Michael just keeps saying she fell down the whole staircase. She fell down the whole staircase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael's computer at some point was wiped clean of files, emails, and web pages on the same day. But... It also comes out because they find it. Obviously, they get to it. It's it's homosexual pornographic material. Yeah. He didn't so want people to know. He right. Oh, okay. Right. He's got dinghies on his computer. And, and especially his kids. He probably... That's literally all they found on his computer. Yeah. Was, was homosexual pornographic images. Yeah. Okay. Most so, likely because he didn't want his right. kids to find out. So Pornhub. What is the problem? Right. Whatever. Um... He ends up getting a new attorney who hires uh, a private investigator who comes and seals off the staircase. 
Um, now, December 12th of 2001 should have been, was the day, excuse me, of Kathleen's viewing, which Michael missed because while he was getting dressed, the Durham PD came and executed a search warrant. He was advised by his attorney to stay in the home and in the rooms they were conducting the search warrants in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he was in his underwear, just room to room. Wow. Yeah. Um, They took three computers, blood swabs from a kitchen couch, which I'm a fucking kitchen couch. Yeah. Bullshit. Uh, They took a copy of the book, O.J. Simpson's Notebook. Really? Come on. We're reaching. We are reaching at this point. Yeah. Uh, A grenade paperweight. What? Yeah. Well, I guess you could think that's the burner weapon. Uh, I don't know. Uh, And power of attorney paperwork that he had. Now, they conduct a neuro exam. Dr. Thomas Bolden says that it took Kathleen two to four hours to die. And he determines this by oxygenation levels in brain tissue and everything. It was a big long thing to me now i'm not a scientist um but to me it seemed like it was a bit much yeah it was you were concluding something that you couldn't really conclude yeah but i'm not a scientist like i said so but this you didn't go to duke i did not go to duke correct um so this really kind of sealed the deal on december 20th uh they put in a true bill of indictment for first degree murder Um, And then came back and said, quote, the defendant named above unlawfully, willingly and feloniously and of malice and afterthought did kill and murder Kathleen Hunt Peterson. He was arrested. Um, A 20 page motion was filed for his release on a one million dollar property bond with the um, uh, supervision of U.S. Congressman Nick uh, Galifianakis. He was like, I'll watch him. He the like, comedian? I know. No, but yeah. Now, December 28th, they start looking into Liz's death. Yeah. Um, Bill told at this point, now it's coming out, they have his computers. So Bill called Kathleen's family and said, he's he's, he's bisexual. Yeah. Um, Kathleen knew. They were okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the PD has his computers and it's just a matter of time before you find out. Yeah. This is when her sister changes her mind and thinks that he did it. They were all behind him. And then she calls him and she's like, are you a homosexual? The fuck does that have to do with anything? And he's like, no. Are you sure? Because your brother told me you were homosexual. No, my brother told you I was a bisexual. So he didn't lie. Right. He's not homosexual. But still, what, Mm -hmm. what does that have to do with anything? Who cares? Right. Um, so they, they did a bunch of fucking rallies and they finally got Michael released on $850,000 property bond. So he had to sign his house up and, you know, mm. um, on January 26th of 2002, Michael filed a claim on Kathleen's assets with her employer. 10 days later, he received a check for $29,360. Um, at the end of January, sister Candace sent a fax to one of the investigators of Durham PD with a possible murder weapon. A blowpoke that she had given to Kathleen years prior. Now, a blowpoke is like a firehouse. It's a firehouse poker. So, like, you know what those look like, right? Yeah. But it's like a tube instead of just a solid stick so you can blow oxygen onto the fire without sticking your head in the fire. Oh, Um, okay. I had never heard of it until this. Apparently, she loves them because she gifted all of her siblings them. Hmm. Hmm. 
So in February of 2002, the defense team hires Dr. Henry Lee, who I've talked about before. Yeah. He's an expert witness. He's testified in the O.J. Simpson case and the JonBenet Ramsey case. Uh, he's testified in more than 1,000 cases in 30 years. He says that her injuries and the blood spatter are consistent with the fall. Yeah. This guy's a world-renowned fucking blood spatter, blood spatter expert. Like, the very first school on blood spatter, he opened. Yeah. I think he knows what he's talking about. I, I think so, too. And the State Bureau of Investigation was like, no, mm-mm, you're wrong. Mm. So on February 17th, Kathleen's autopsy report was revealed after uh, the judge refused to seal it. Yeah. A week after that, Candace released a public statement uh, response to the attorney saying, don't jump to conclusions. She said, quote, Mr. Rudolph does not represent Kathleen's family, nor has he spoken to any family member. Although Michael Peterson was Kathleen's husband, he also stands accused of her murder. Therefore, the assumption that he is Kathleen's quote unquote family no longer applies. Wow. So now they're like, fuck you. Yeah. On February 19th, Michael receives a second Nortel check for $94,000. On March 1st, Christina, Todd's friend, was scheduled for a third interview with police, and instead they got a letter from her attorney saying, go through me. Lawyer the fuck up. Yeah. Um, On uh, March 4th, the defense submits paperwork claiming that the search warrant that they executed on the house was invalid after the... uh, Uh, the police withheld evidence in order to get the search warrant Um, and that they demanded that everything seized be thrown out and the sole purpose of the search warrant was retaliation for Michael's columns against the police and the DA. Um, On March 31st, the judge said, get fucked. His rights were not violated. Everything stays. And right around that time, Michael received a final check from Nortel for $212,790,000. Now, there's still a $725,000 life insurance policy, which would be doubled because it was an accident. Mm. Now, the ex-wife, Patty, continues to give interviews, and she gives very weird answers. Um, She says, in regards to him doing it, quote, my assumption and my hope is they are going to find the truth and that he is innocent. Uh, When asked if she knew of Michael to lie, she said, quote, no, not directly. I have no knowledge of that. He never really lied so much as it was like lies of omission. Hmm. You know? Um, they asked, would you support Michael if he admitted guilt? And she said, quote, it would be totally contrary to my experience with him as a human being for 40 years. Just say no. Yeah, that's say, a say bit no. much. Uh, In May of 2002, the value of Kathleen's estate is released, um, and it's valued at a quarter of a million dollars. Michael renounced his right to administer the estate, so the rights went to her daughter, Caitlin, which Mm -hmm. I would have done the same thing. Um, Now the media finds out about Liz's death in 1985. Yeah. And they go bat shit fucking crazy. Yeah. So in June of 2002, a trial date is set for May 12th of 2003. The judge tries to get everybody to stop talking and is basically just shy of issuing a gag order. Um, he did allow uh, Michael, he gave him permission to go out of state for what was supposed to be an anniversary party, but he ended up having to go out of state because his mom passed away at the end of June. Um, while he was in Reno for his mom's death, the PD conducted another search warrant. By August, 
Caitlin, Margaret, and Martha were no longer speaking. Um, in October of 2002, documentary filmmakers Dennis Ponset and Jean Xavier de La Stronde Jean. from Maha Productions started filming. Now, at this point, they don't have like a movie deal kind yeah. of thing, but they, they're like, someone's going to fucking buy this. So, this, yeah, this, oh, this yeah. is fucking great. Yeah. So right around the same time, uh, D.A. Jim Harden filed a request in Texas courts to have Liz's body exhumed. Wow. Now, they have to get permission from the girls. Yeah. Because they're her only living. They're like oh, her okay. next of kin, yeah. essentially. Right. Um, now, on October 29th, Kathleen's daughter, Caitlin, her attorney arrives at the home to remove all of her belongings, saying that Caitlin is too fearful to go to the house alone. She also files a wrongful death suit against Michael and files for Kathleen's life insurance policy. Um, they stated that when her when Kathleen married Michael and she changed the beneficiary from her ex-husband to her new husband, she never signed the form, which makes Caitlin the next of kin beneficiary. Mm. Um, but also, North Carolina has a Slayer statute when it comes to life insurance. So if you're being accused of the crime, you cannot collect the life insurance. So it didn't matter. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's a lot of states have that. And I love that they call it the Slayer Rule. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Um, so on February 6, 2003, Margaret and Martha uh, wrote a letter granting permission to have their birth mother, is what they call her, exhumed. So they exhumed this woman. Hang on, I'm getting there. Um, <clears throat> God, I have like a scratch in my throat. Maybe it's an owl there. <laughs> so they exhume um, Liz on April 14th. She was buried in her wedding dress. Oh, I really? was like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I was like, shit. So the body itself was in an excellent state. Um, the, the coffin stayed relatively sealed. Um, the skin on her face still had makeup on it and looked wow. quite normal. Um, when they removed the makeup, they were able to see bruising under her left eye and a laceration on her eyebrow. Um, the embalming process will actually preserve bruising. Mm. So it'll take out the blood in the circulatory system, but it yeah. can't take blood out of a tissue. And bruising is blood. Really? It's blood yeah. vessels in yeah. a tissue, so you can't get that out. Um, she did have some injury to her mouth. Not, not a big deal. Um, now they're looking at her head and the, the doctor performing the autopsy was Dr. Gleckman and this was his area of specialty. Uh, all the multiple lacerations on her head were glued and sutured, obviously. He found seven distinct lacerations to Liz's head, which is the same number as Kathleen's. Um, it, it, it could be coincidence, but they're saying there's one on the very top of her head, um, which I don't understand. Who cares? Mm -hmm. It's on the top of her head. Now, she had a skull fracture at the base of her skull. Yeah. So she probably, with a brain aneurysm, it popped and she went down. Yeah. There's nothing you can you can do. Um, now, Dr. Radish was also part of this autopsy, and she did Kathleen's autopsy, mm -hmm. which I just realized Kathleen Peterson was Drew Peterson's first wife. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I don't thing. know why I didn't realize that. Yep. Isn't further. that crazy? So now... They believe, Dr. Gleckman and Dr. Radish believe, that Liz Radcliffe's death was caused by blunt force trauma to the head and uh, determined that the wow. manner of death was homicide. 
Jeez. Yeah. So they call her family and say, yeah, she didn't die from a fall down the stairs. So there, it's it's the same thing. They're coming. Yeah. They're deciding whether or not it's a homicide. Yeah. And I don't. I'm not cool with that. I, I'm, I'm not. I just, I don't understand how it's not consistent. Yeah, I'm, I'm not cool with that. So it's, I don't know. This is why I don't know how I feel about it, you know? Um, so he obviously, hang on, I gotta get it. Um, so it, this was a huge fucking to do in North Carolina. Huge to do. And then they found out about Liz and then they're saying, okay, well he lied about his military career and he lied about this and he lied about that. And he, so like they're, they're going after his credibility yeah. is what they're doing. Of course. And now they're saying, well, he, he killed Liz to get the kids. What? Why? Why? Even, even the two girls are like, he why got, would he do he that? got two fucking bratty toddlers in yeah. diapers out of the deal. Like that's what he got out of this. Right. He got no money from Liz's death. All he got was the money to care for the kids from the Department of Defense. That's it. Yeah. So the girls are even like, so he got us full of boogers and diapers? Great. Good awesome. for him. Yeah. yeah. So. That's a great deal. Um. So now the defense is publicly starting to say that Kathleen, um, or excuse me, the prosecution is saying that Kathleen went in to check her email and found the images on his computer. There was an altercation. He pushed her down the stairs. He beat her and pushed her down the stairs. The defense says that Kathleen knew about his bisexuality, mm-hmm. and it was the don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Don't get into a relationship, and we won't. That's it. Right. Um, her family is like, no, because that's why she left her first husband, because he cheated. Okay, but things change as you get older. You don't, nobody knows, because she's the only person who can say yes or no, because Nobody else knew about it. Right. So. Right. Um, on May 5th, jury selection began. It took them until June 23rd to do jury selection. Really? Yeah. Um, it, isn't that insane? Yeah. So now the defense ends up finding the blowpoke. And they, they bring it to trial. They're like, okay, we found it. It turns out that they had found it all along. The police had photographed it in the first couple of days, but didn't mm. think anything of it and left it right where it was. So they determined that it was in the garage and it had been untouched and unmoved for too long for it to be the murder weapon. A juror was contacted after and said that they very quickly dismissed the blowpoke as yeah. the murder weapon. Right. <sighs> I need a drink. <laughs> Mouth is dry. Yeah. All right. So the prosecution at this point, they went through all that trouble. They exhumed Liz's body, um, but declined to accuse Peterson of her death completely, but introduced it as um, a way to give him an idea Mm -hmm. of faking Kathleen's quote unquote accident. Uh, police reports say that at the scene of Liz's death, there was very little blood. However, everybody else contradicts that. And it was the same, really the same amount of blood. She had a subarachnoid bleed too. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> on October 10th, 2003, after one of the longest trials in North Carolina history, a Durham County jury found uh, Michael guilty of the murder of Kathleen, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um. 
in North Carolina, denial of parole requires premeditation. And because that one doctor come out, came out and said it took two to four hours for her to die, they said that was more than enough time for premeditation. Yeah. Um, they, the jurors accepted it as a, quote, spur-of-the-moment crime, but also found it to be premeditated because he didn't get her help. Yeah. When the verdict was announced, he stood up and he looked back at Martha and Margaret and said, everything will be okay because they are literally his biggest supporters. Yeah. That is their dad. And Kathleen was their mom. Right. That's all they knew because Patty wanted nothing to do with him. Mm. All they knew was Kathleen. So that was their mom. And they just could not, they couldn't accept it. There's no way. Yeah. So he filed an appeal pretty shortly after. Um, and he had just now a, a court-appointed attorney by the name of Thomas Mayer, um, who argued before the North Carolina Court of Appeals in April of 06, um, obviously that he should get a new trial. On September 19th of 06, the Court of Appeals rejected his arguments that he did mm. not get a fair trial because of repeated judicial mistakes. Mm. Um, the appeals ruling stated that the evidence was fairly, fairly admitted. Um, however... The judges found defects in one of the search warrants, but said it had no ill effect on the defense. Wow. But because the ruling was not unanimous, under North Carolina law, Michael had the right to appeal to the North Carolina Supreme Court, who agreed to hear the case. An oral argument was heard on September 10th, 2007, and on November 9th, the court announced that it affirmed the decision of the appeals. Um... Absent of a reconsideration of the ruling or the raising of a federal issue, Michael had now exhausted all of his appeals on the verdict. Mm. It gets better. Da, da, da. In November of 2008, attorneys Burkhart Beal, people in the South have the best fucking names, oh, man. The, the best ever. Um, and Jason Anthony of Richmond, Virginia, were now representing Michael. And they filed a motion for a new trial in Durham County Court on three grounds. The first one was that the prosecution withheld exculpatory evidence about the blowpoke. Uh, the prosecution used an expert wish witness whose qualifications were disputed and that one juror based his judgment on racial factors. Uh, on March 10th of 2009, his motion was denied by the Durham County Supreme Court. Oh, so the expert witness yeah. got on the stand and said that he had been to 30 plus falls yeah. And he was a blood spatter expert. He had never been to a fall at all. And this came out. What? This came out because at a previous trial, it was a trial after Michael's, but before the appeal, it comes out that this guy just flat out lied. What? He flat the out fuck? lied. The prosecution was like, hey, we need this to happen. And he's he, like, say less. And he would pay me. He would fit it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Say less and pay me. All right, you ready for the owl theory? Yeah. <laughs> in late 2009, a new theory of Kathleen's death was raised. She had been attacked by a barred owl outside, fallen after rushing inside, and then been knocked unconscious after hitting her head on the first tread of the stairs. This was raised by a Durham attorney, T. Lawrence Pollard, who was a neighbor of the Petersons, who was not involved but knew the details of the case. He approached the police, suggesting an owl might have been responsible after reading the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation evidence list and finding a feather listed. P. 
Peterson's attorneys determined that the SBI crime lab report listed a microscopic owl feather and a wooden sliver from a tree limb entangled in a clump of hair that had been pulled out by the roots found clutched in Kathleen's left hand. A re-examination of the hair in September of 08 found two more microscopic owl feathers. This would be the exculpatory evidence. I don't know if I'm buying it. Uh, according to Pollard, had a jury been presented with this evidence, it would have, quote, materially affected their deliberation and therefore would have materially affected their ultimate verdict. Now, okay, so she was attacked by an owl. Like, you're, you're sitting here thinking, what the fuck? Yeah. But there's hair. There's feathers. She has... Yeah. Uh, an avulsion, which is, that's going to be pulled up. You're going to get an avulsion from something going under and pulling up versus splitting open. The the three prong thing, that's a fucking owls have three tails. I mean, yeah. as, as ridiculous as it sounds, you can go, okay, well, that makes sense. And that makes sense. And that makes sense. Yeah, I just still don't know if I'm buying that. I know, but reasonable doubt. Yeah. Reasonable doubt. Um, so despite the interest in the theory, no motion for a new trial was filed on that particular point. Um, on March 2nd, 2007, um, so this was after his Alfred Preet, but I'm talking about that also. I'll get it in there. Michael's attorney filed a motion to allow him to pay for a bird expert at the Smithsonian Institute to examine feather fragments found in Kathleen's hair to determine whether or not she had been attacked by an owl. Wow. Yeah. Um, so this is the um, the analyst, Dwayne Deaver. Um, he was found, like I said, to be a liar. Uh, he was fired from the SBI in January of 2011 after an independent audit of the agency found he falsely represented evidence in 30 Four oh cases. My God. One of which uh, was the case of Greg Taylor. Uh, this guy spent 17 and years in prison on a murder conviction oh based off a of Deaver's testimony. God. The blood came back as not being human, and he didn't fucking tell anybody. What a piece of shit. And this guy sent, he spent 18 years in fucking prison because what of it. What a fucking piece mm-hmm. of shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yep. So, because of this, on December 16th, 2011, <clears throat> Michael was released from Durham County Jail on a $300,000 bail and placed under house arrest with a tracking bracelet. Wow. Um, his release on bond followed a judicial order for a new trial after Judge Hodgson, who was the original judge in the case, found that Deaver had given, quote, material, materially misleading and, quote, deliberately false testimony about bloodstained evidence and he had exaggerated his training, ex- experience, and expertise. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, former North Carolina Attorney General Rufus. I love their names. Rufus. Um, Edmondson said that any evidence gathered after Deaver arrived at this scene could be deemed inadmissible in a new trial. Mm. In July of 2014, uh, Michael's bond restrictions were eased up a little bit. And in October of 2014, he was now appointed Mike Klinkasim to represent him. Um, he ended up, he was being represented by his original attorney, Rudolph, after his conviction was overturned, but he couldn't afford to represent him pro bono anymore. Yeah. Um, 
So on November 14th, 2016, Michael's request for a second trial to be dismissed was refused. And a new trial was scheduled to begin on May 8th, 2017. So this was right around the time he would have paid for like that bird expert shit. Yeah. Um, However, a news report on February 7th, 2017 indicated that a resolution had been negotiated uh, with the Durham County District Attorney, which it was. Um, After discussing everything with his family and realizing he just didn't want to put them through this again, uh, he entered an Alford plea on February 27th, 2017. Uh, For those of you that don't know, an Alford plea is a guilty plea entered because there is enough evidence for the court to convict a person, but the person is still saying they're innocent. Right. So they're accepting the fact that they could be found guilty, but they're declaring innocence. So right. it's technically, it's a it's a guilty plea. Right. Technically. Um, so he entered the Alford plea to the voluntary manslaughter of Kathleen. Uh, he was sentenced to a maximum of 86 months in prison with credit for time previously served. Uh, because he had already served 98 and a half months, he did not face additional prison time. Wow. So he is out. Mm-hmm. And What's he doing now? I don't know. Probably writing a book. I, that, that's what I was thinking, probably writing yeah. a book. Um, he looks old. <laughs> but he looked old in the documentary. He did. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm leaning more towards after I saw the stair, the actual staircase. I, I, and with her wearing sandals, yeah. her on the medication, I, I, just my opinion. I'm leaning more towards she slipped and fell. Right, and it's just unfortunate that the same thing happened. I mean, yeah. it wasn't the exact same thing. She originally Liz was said to have a brain injury. So, and it's sometimes, I mean, it's one of those, what came first, the chicken or the egg. So they have a fall and there's a brain bleed, but then you have to think what came first? Did it pop and then they fell right? or did they fall and it popped? But, and I'm going off of, and this may sound stupid, but we have carpeted stairs Mm -hmm. that are big. Mm -hmm. You and Jax all the time fall down the stairs Mm -hmm. All the fucking mm-hmm. time. And it's for... Okay, so Jax falls because he's clumsy. Yeah. I fall because I'm clumsy and my brain is broken and I lose footing. Yeah. I I lose balance and I go down. And carpeted stairs, I, I don't think I've ever hit my head really, but I've never knocked myself unconscious so I can I can tuck and roll. And that's the first thing that we do. <laughs> the last time Jackson fell down the stairs, he's like, don't worry, my tucked and rolled. Right. So, like, you're, you're consciously covering your head. Right. But if you go down and knock yourself out on the first blow. Yeah. You know. You're, that's it. And it. it so, that that's my opinion. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think she fell. But. I, I mean, I, and I, I don't even I, think. Who knows? Right. Who knows? I don't even necessarily think he was that bad of a guy i, think I, I don't think so either dude I, I think he just he had a private life that right. he didn't want to come out and he said well she knew about it well okay i think it was how do we know that how I do think, we know that she didn't yeah and i think the private life was more to keep it away from his kids so his kid you know 
to be embarrassed by his kid from his kids. I I, I, I don't know. Well, and that's I, the thing. I, I mean, know. it's your private life. Yeah. Do, your kids don't. Your sexuality is not your children's business. Right. Why would you make it their business? Right. So. I I don't know. I made everybody antsy because I talked too long. I'm sorry. But I don't I don't I don't know. I I don't know. I truly don't know where I stand on this. Yeah. I lean mm. more towards it was an accident. Yeah. That's what I'm I'm leaning towards. Just more. unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. You know. But no, who knows? I just feel like who knows? the medical examiners like you can say whatever the fuck you want to say. Oh, you yeah. In my opinion, it's this and that's what it's deemed as. It, yeah. But you can't like, that's crazy. I looked and looked and looked to find out why, like what reasons they gave that these injuries they said were not consistent with the fall. They don't have to explain that shit. No. Which is mind-blowing. How is it not consistent with a fall down cement stairs? Yeah. That's mind-blowing. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But we got to wrap this up because we're going on two hours. Yeah. So. Sorry. Sorry. But, I'm not uh, Sorry. No, the, this was a good one, and I just, I don't know. I, I know the way I'm leaning towards, but I don't know. Um, I, yeah. Who knows? But anyways, know. uh, this weekend will be nice. We will be in Chattanooga mm-hmm. for Connuga Fest. And I, if you're in the area, hope you guys come and Check oh my us God, out. that'd be great. Yeah. That really would be fun. We'll be on Saturday at 3 p.m. And uh, we're going to talk about how we do the podcast. Yeah, we're going to give a panel on making a true crime mm-hmm. podcast. So mm-hmm. if you're in the area, come on by. It'll be fun. Yep. So uh, Patreons, thank you very much everyone else we love you guys you guys are family like we say all the time and our next episode will be a patreon exclusive mm-hmm. episode uh it will be amanda knox yep the amanda knox case yep. so if you want to listen to that you're gonna have to sign up we have because you know i'm gonna find some shit oh yeah but we have several different tiers now that you can choose from so um so sign up if if you're interested yep so other than that guys i hope you enjoyed this episode and we will be talking to you soon bye bye